Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Oh, you said it. <laughs> yes, we're we're here again, once again, in your living rooms or bedrooms or bathrooms or wherever you happen to be listening to us today. You think they might be listening in their vehicle? Oh, I do. I, I always st- like that that use of the word, you know. And I, of course, I first heard it with respect to killing someone with a vehicle, right? Vehicular <laughs> manslaughter. Not that there's anything funny about vehicular manslaughter, but just that that very form of the word to me uh, always made me laugh. No, there's nothing funny about vehicular manslaughter at all, except for the words. Just just vehicular, actually, in particular. That's right. Well, we've got some feedback that we've been neglecting for a long time. And, and we're sorry. We really ha- We really are. Yeah, we're sorry. Um, this comes from a vegetarian friend of ours uh, writing to tell us how much she loves the show. Thanks. Oh, cool. Yeah, we actually have been avoiding the feedback where people say good things about us because it's going to sound like we're just blowing our own horns. And we're still waiting for someone to write us and tell us how much they hate us. That just hasn't <laughs> happened yet. But, you know, we are still soliciting that opinion if it's if it's available. Yep. And this person apparently doesn't listen to us in a car or a vehicle, but she listens at work. And she says that, um, let's see, I listen to you at work and have to say you make Mondays at my job almost bearable. Now, if you can almost. just... Almost. If you can just do something about the knuckle-dragging bubbas I work with, and I thought that was the funniest thing for a while. Knuckle-dragging bubbas, just lots of word pictures there. Well, actually, I think this puts the onus on us to make her day completely bearable now on Mondays. We, we're just going to have to make the show that much better. Yeah, now I wish I could do a show at work on Mondays <laughs> instead of actually being at work. Yes. Yeah. And she went on, this is, uh, obviously it's a little bit dated, but she was asking us um, what our thoughts were on the media's lack of interest in the non-Christian's opinion on the National Day of Prayer. And she says, we should have at least been given the day off with pay to make up for the revolting and obvious exclusionary nature of the declaration. Just an opinion of this uppity atheist, of course. Signed, Cornless in Kentucky. (laughs) Which I'm not even funny. sure what that means. I don't know either. Obviously, there's no corn there. All right, but it's spelled yet. Yeah, it's spelled with a Q. Yeah, I'm not sure what that means. I'm really not. But I guess she can email us and let us know. But hey, thanks for the feedback and uh, yeah. any other uh, things you have to say to us. We're we're more than happy to listen. Yeah, I I, res- I think I responded to the uh, National Day of Prayer thing, and and I was I didn't really have a problem with um, declaring something as a, a national day, but uh, I just think that it wasn't done tastefully, tactfully. Aha. Uh-huh. You know, I do want to um, correct something I said two or three shows ago. Uh, indeed, there are not three bowling alleys on the way that I passed. There are four. There are four. There are four. I forgot one of them, and it's the closest one to my house <laughs> on the way, too. And I just... what. It, I think I know why. Not that this is a good excuse or a good reason about why I might have not noticed it, but this particular bowling alley that I forgot to count is on my right, 
all the other bowling alleys, bowling alleys are on my left on the way in. I don't know if that means anything, <laughs> but that's simply the, a fact. That's pretty funny. And it's just weird little bit of uh, synchronicity. My son just randomly today, he was he was sitting with me watching a little bit of television. And he says, Dad, I have a new nickname. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> What's that? And he said, uh, I want to be called Mr. 300. <laughs> and I said, why? And I think that... Yeah, they played a bowling game or something at, at school, and he said that his teacher called him Mr. 300, so he wants to be called Mr. 300. Well, that's cool. Have yeah. you ever rolled a 300 game, John? No, but I, I did roll a 272. Wow. Yeah. Holy cats, Batman. That's great. I, I don't really bowl that much, but I had a cousin who was a pro for a while. He's got six or something like that sanctioned Really? ABC 300 games. Well, you know who yeah. I'm talking about. He and his parents, uh, his family used to own the, the Vista Lanes there. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I won't mention his name. No, no names. He was a pro. And he, he was on TV once, too, on one of those Saturday morning bowling shows. Snooze and, fests. Yeah, exactly. Oh, boy. Here comes the feedback now. Sorry. Bowling as a snooze fest. No. Bowling is fun. It's a, it's a good time for all. I mean, what other sport can you play while drinking? Well, darts. <laughs> darts. That's true. Billiards. Billiards. But there is an awful lot of drinking. Skeet. Actually, on my way home, the, uh, the the bowling alley that I forgot to talk about is actually quite um, quite active. There are a lot of cars there, and uh, I don't know, maybe there's league uh, bowling in, yeah. starting in the fall because it just started very recently. So it's apparently league bowling night at that bowling alley, and I don't even remember what it's called, but uh, it's in Rome. Yeah. Bowling. So it might be like Liberty Lanes. I don't know. <laughs> Jeez. Everything in Rome is Liberty this, Liberty that. Bowling is fun. I think it's a good time for all. And it's not too expensive. And as long as you don't mind wearing other people's shoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why you got to buy your own. Oh, yeah. I'm going to break out some of this truth serum here. John's got the truth serum going. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just falling back to my old standby, the, the Rosemount Shiraz. The uh, Shiraz. Yeah, this is something we've had at least... Once twice. before, Once maybe twice. twice before, but it's uh, it's a, it's a great choice. It's an excellent choice. Yeah, this is the I've said it before, but this is the stuff that I drink um, regularly, profusely, profusely. <laughs> now I I drink it all the time because it's it's not too expensive and it's it's a really quality wine. It's a good bottle. It's got a nice mm, shape. Mm, mm, mm. Yum. Yeah. So Rich had something to talk to me about uh, concerning rationality. Well, I actually haven't really composed my thoughts on this that much. Well, then and, keep them to yourself. Well, and this may come <laughs> as a surprise to some of you out there, but John and I don't spend a lot of times, a lot of time, I should say, putting our shows together. And I guess, you know, naughty us, but we often get here in 10 minutes before the show. What do you want to talk about today? And usually we have seen something in the news that week that irked us and we go, oh, we definitely got to talk about that. Yeah. We and just don't have a lot of pre-production notes prepared, and, and, and we we have ideas, but we just sort of form them on the fly. But we, you know, and, and, and it's not as though we just literally wing the show, because we don't. We've been thinking about it during the week, and mm-hmm. and then we get together and, and throw out some topics, and um, we didn't really have a lot today. But I um, have been thinking a lot about the subject of rationality lately, or irrationality lately, because, um, let's see. Most recently, uh, I guess I'm thinking of this in the context of religion and radical uh, religious people, and every religion has them, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's uh, uh, if they're Arabs or they're uh, they're Christians or they're Jews. I mean, every religion has its radical contingent, and usually, you know, they're justifying killing and all kinds of things with their religion and all kinds of bad behavior. Right. The thing that really got me mad was uh, right after Katrina. There was some um, 
right-wing religious group, and I, I don't know what they're called, and I'm certainly not going to uh, I'm not going to plug them. But um, they were talking about, for example, how Katrina was a punishment for Louisiana uh, because apparently there's some abortion clinics in Louisiana. Okay, fine. You know, feel the way you want to feel about abortion. That's not what we're here to talk about today. But the reason, this is the best part, the reason that they're absolutely convinced that it's because of abortion is because they looked at one satellite photo of the swirling clouds, the hurricane itself, and to them it looked like a fetus. Mm. Hurricanes are known to be giant Rorschach tests. So clearly, since it looked like a fetus to this person, obviously the reason that this uh, hurricane happened was because of these abortion clinics. And I don't know how many they are and or any of those numbers, but I mean, this is obviously irrational thought. This is not rational, right? I mean, no, it's it's completely ridiculous because it's it's not rational. It's people rationalizing their actions. It's it's just to me, it's disgusting because as a as a religious person, and you know, Rich and I will have maybe one or two conversations about that in the future. But I consider myself a religious or spiritual person, and and that kind of statement sickens me because it 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 takes um, religion and and paints it in a bad light, and not just paints it in a bad light, but it gives it a, a horrible name. It, it it confirms all of the the stereotypes that, that people um, use for religious people. Um, religious extremists uh, in particular. I mean, I just think these people are nuts. I mean, I'm well, just yeah. going to say it. These well, yeah. people, and I, I use this phrase, and I'm sure uh, I've probably offended uh, a few people over the years saying this, but there are uh, factions of people that are so extreme, you know, I, uh, and if they happen to be religious, I, I would might call them a religious nutcase, and these people are just religious nutcases. I mean, well, if, if, they, yeah. if they're blaming the hurricane as God's punishment for abortions, I mean, that's just insanity. And, you know, Carl Sagan had a great definition of—it wasn't necessarily his definition of, of rationality, but I think it's a good litmus test for rationality and critical thinking. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but Carl Sagan, I'm, I'm sure most of you know who he is. He was a famous astronomer. Yeah, he's got billions and billions of fans. Yeah, he does, and he did the whole Cosmos thing, and he was a, a professor and lecturer at um, Colgate. Mm -hmm. And— uh, you know, he's pretty famous. You know, he had a movie and all that contact and all that good stuff. But he once said, and I'm paraphrasing, he once said, um, any belief system that cannot withstand scrutiny is a belief system not worth having. And I mean, you could apply this to any sort of belief system. And I think in particular, he happened to be talking about religions when he made that statement. But I mean, we could think of that very statement, the idea that the the hurricane was punishment for um, there being abortion clinics. I mean, we could think of that as the belief system, you know, and obviously that statement can't withstand scrutiny, so it's obviously a belief not worth having. And I think you can yeah. apply this in so many ways to so many things. Well, what, what also bugs me is that uh, any religion, and especially the, the religion, and I'm, and I'm sure that you're talking about the, the radical Christian right, um, any religion that is based on Christian beliefs should be based on peace and tolerance, and to say that that uh, a hurricane is is wiping people out because of uh, some sort of uh, punishment is, is the opposite of that religion. They're taking their religion and taking their personal ideas and and they're just mixing them in with some bad medicine. I'm, I'm just really disgusted by it. And I mean, this applies to any religion, right? I mean, obviously, there's there's fundamentalists in every religion, and I'm sure these people who consider themselves good Christians, God fearing people in this particular group that we're talking about would be the first people to criticize, you know, an Arabic person for their religious beliefs. And it all boils down to the question of who's 
I guess it boils down to the question of whose God is right, right? I mean, they all quote their God mm-hmm. as being right. You know, they're, and, and what I love is that they absolutely put words in their God's mouth, you know? Oh, yeah. they're, they're not quoting God. They, they take the role of speaking for God, yeah, they're, and, they're which is bad. <laughs> totally putting words in, in the mouth of uh, the maker, as it were, if he has a mouth or she. And um, I don't think there's any sex involved. <laughs> Well, we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> but um, and 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 in reality, and I'm not the first person to say this, but in my estimation, there's no difference between these people, right? Anybody who's claiming to know what God's will is and then thinks it's okay to set off a bomb or to blow up an abortion clinic or to fly an airplane into a building or to do any of these things based on this misguided belief that they they understand what their god wants them to do is not rational. Yeah, and and I'm and I'm not going to get into, you know, any uh Christian belief systems or in in particular my Catholic belief systems, you know, I'm waiting for the feedback on that. Um the reality is I was always taught to not just come up with your own ideas and try to rationalize them. It's it's to submit and say, I don't have all the answers. And for these people to say that they've got the answers and the answers are to go out and kill or to condemn people, that's just completely wrong. It's backwards. It's upside down. Exactly. And I, I do want to go a little bit more into religion in general because I'm... Geez, I always get those two mixed up, atheist and agnostic. Explain what the difference is between those two again. Atheist is, I know the answer, and the answer is there is no God. Agnostic is, I have no idea what the answer is. I'm agnostic. Fine. I'm agnostic. But, you know, I can't prove there is no God. I accept that. I can't prove there is no God, nor do I criticize people for their belief system. However, I will criticize these people we're talking about for their belief systems. Because their belief systems are hurtful and dangerous. Exactly. But I think... I I do consider myself a spiritual person, though. You know, I would probably lean more towards Eastern philosophies than Western philosophies, but I do consider myself very spiritual, and I I do often look at religion in general, you know, this belief in a a creator. While, again, I can't uh, prove that there is no creator, in, in my personal belief system, it's irrational to believe in a creator, you know? I mean, I look at people who believe in UFOs, and I look at people who believe... Uh, anything outrageous, you know, and in my in my world, in my belief system, there's no more evidence anywhere that there's a God. There's no more evidence proving that than there is that we've been visited by extraterrestrials. And yet, in my estimation, you know, these people are laughed at, right? The people who claim they've been abducted, <laughs> but yet we elect a, our, our <laughs> we elect the president of our United States allegedly because of his religious beliefs, you know. And, and in my world, there is no more evidence uh, for either. You know, they're, they're both equally as implausible to me. So I just don't understand religion in general. And uh, you know, I think having a guiding light, a good moral. I prefer the word ethical. But I think having a good ethical guiding light is great, you know. Uh, I think the golden rule is a great place to start, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't think uh, Roman Catholicism or Christianity invented that concept. I think it's pretty universal, and I think it's it's where we all need to start. But I think it's also to do it uh, – I think it's also possible to do it. I do it. Uh, you know, I have friends who do it. I think it's possible to do it outside of the context of organized religion. I just tend to think of organizations of – Many kinds. I guess the better way to say it is I think of concentrations of power as a bad thing. Yeah. And that applies to corporations, and that applies to something even as big as uh, the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely uh, you can't can't deny that the Roman Catholic Church has had its dark days. Still does. uh, Yeah. Well, 
some people may agree or disagree, and I'm not even going to get into it because we can start having some uh, some jihads right here on the show. Not at all. <laughs> I uh, I I love this kind of stuff. It, yeah. it, you know, what do you have to say? Are you done? You got no, nothing? no, I'm I'm not done at all. I I guess. Um, and well, Rich, you and I have had this conversation before, where where you have sort of alluded to how you don't necessarily understand or or maybe have. Uh, questioned how I could be a religious person and be a rational person or, or logical person at the same time. And I've, I struggle with that as well, because those are two opposing forces in my brain or in, or in my heart, as you would say. And I do think John is a rational person. So yeah. this is why uh, I have some confusion and I, I've confronted him with it. Yeah. Confront and might be a strong word. Challenged. Offered the opinion. Yeah. And, and I don't have a problem being challenged because it, it, it makes me question myself. And I always think as a rational person, questioning your beliefs... You should keep doing that because if you just uh, get complacent, you could well. That's you know, what fall evolving some, yeah. is about, you know. Yep. So Com- I mean, complacency bad. I uh, <laughs> fire bad. <laughs> so I, I I went through a, a period of time in my life where I completely rebelled against uh, religion and the church, um, quote unquote church. And um, when I was in college, I think it's a it's a natural thing for anyone who's who's raised with religion in their life uh, to rebel against it at some point. But in college, I said, you know, I don't want to just rebel for the sake of rebellion. I really want to uh, look at this rigorously and say, what is it that I'm that I'm supposed to be thinking and, and take it from authorities? So I actually went through some, some uh, graduate level philosophy courses, and a couple of them were specifically on the topic of religion, the existence of God, all of those things. And I came out of those not as a more logical non-believer, I came out of those as a person who felt comfortable saying, okay, now I can I can submit and say, I don't know everything, but I know for a fact that no one can prove the non-existence of God, no one can prove the existence of God, and that's when faith takes over. And, you know, that's what happened for me. Well, so. I would... Well, first of all, when you were calling yourself a rebel, I was thinking of the, the Empire Strikes Back when, <laughs> when one of the guys goes, you rebel scum. But, and I was and laughing. friends. And I wanted to say it. But um, well, you were talking about your religious beliefs and, and whatnot a moment ago. And another thought popped into my mind, which I had been forming earlier today. And, you know, I, I believe chaos runs the universe, right? I mean, we all know what chaos is. It's, yeah, it's, it's an organization a, that, that fights against... Um, control. Control. Exactly. Speaking of Get Smart. And, I mean, I attribute the day-to-day events that happen in the universe everywhere to chaos. And apparently, you know, from all of the, the people that I know, God isn't responsible for the bad things, and he's not responsible for the good things. So exactly what is he responsible for and if you can't if i can't see the difference between the normal workings of chaos and a divine all powerful being having control over it then in my estimation occam's razor applies here the simplest explanation is that chaos runs the universe i mean this is this is where i'm coming yeah. from and that's just another uh, aspect of rationality right the the simplest explanation is most often the truest and that's the definition of occam's razor right i mean yeah and and there is a um, a line of thought, which, which I tend to believe. And, and again, words are failing. So if I, if I say God did this or God did that, you know, all I can say is I'm a human being and I've got words and I've got to try to put wrap words around concepts. Um, when I say God, I don't even know what the true nature of God would be. You know, I'm, I'm trying to understand it, but if I say God created not just the good things or God created the, the gooder things, the better things, God created everything. That's my belief. Good and bad. God doesn't indiscriminately create 
evil. Well, then where does the devil fit into this whole equation? I mean, isn't he the guy who creates the bad? I mean, it's sort of like the particle and the antiparticle. You know, it's the positive and the negative, right? It's the yin and the yang. Is is the devil something that is something that just people arbitrarily, uh, is this just some arbitrary name they apply to the bad? Or is there supposed to be in this religious universe, is there supposed to be these two super beings that are fighting it out every day, right? There's God, and then there's his uh, evil opponent, you know, probably wears a cape and has a mask on in the, in the, in the squared circle. And, um, you know, every once in a while, I mean, but seriously, I mean, is the devil something that exists or is it just something that we apply to, to bad things? So well, God created everything good and bad or is, I, I don't get it. Well, if you want to get into the the entire, I mean, I'm I'm definitely not a, a religious scholar here, but the way I understand the teachings are God created everything, including the devil. And God gave the devil, who used to be an angel, and again, these words may sound archaic or silly, but, you know, it's one of those things where we may wrap these terms around some concepts like these beings, which are definitely higher than us or have different existences, but God created everything, including that thing which we call the devil, and the devil had free will, just like every being that God created, and it chose to influence things in its way, which is evil, influence things in a, in a way that is chaotic. So it influences things towards chaos. Oh. So, and, so and, chaos is what the devil created. Or adds to. Chaos in a bad sense, not in the scientific sense. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Add, adding pain and suffering where it doesn't need to be. Oh. Well, my only hope is that God beats the Yankees. Boom. <laughs> I don't know what that is. What is that? What was that you just did? That was that was Rich just, just slamming me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that wasn't a slam. Well, you know what? I'm done. Actually, the Angels are playing the Yankees. Is that is, is that true? <laughs> how, how apropos. Oh, isn't that appropriate? Yeah. Well, I think Funny. I'm done with that. I got nothing left on that segment. I just kind of wanted to throw those couple ideas out there and talk about rationality and how basically what my beliefs are on it, and I was glad to hear yours. Yeah. We got well, a tune now. Yeah. And speaking of chaos. What? This should shake people up oh yeah this is in your face guitar rock and roll by a band called numeria the song is called indio and just really briefly um i met the drummer in this band i've actually never met him in person or maybe i did at one of the nam shows at one of the trade shows but he worked for a company called stick enterprises which is run by emmett chapman and for those of you out there who are, who are musicians you've seen the chapman stick tony levin plays one it's a tap guitar they're really cool so very unique sound yeah it's a very unique instrument and in the future i'm going to have some chapman guitar uh, chapman stick artists i've been uh, asking oh, nice. them to play some of their stuff and uh, a bunch of them have said yes so we'll have some chapman stick music on in the future but he my, the company i work for is a music industry manufacturer and we one of our clients is stick enterprises and cool. this guy i used to talk to this guy and then he sent me some cd's and i liked a lot of the stuff uh, for those of you who care, it's got a little bit of a, a little bit of a King's X vibe to it, and uh, I think it's pretty cool. So let's let's play it. And here it is. <laughs> Oh, 
pretty pounding i'm liking that you know kind of a, a little tension reliever there for me I, occasionally i like to crank really loud guitar rock you okay there rich i'm fine I'm tension good. tension relieved yeah it's good what'd you think cool it's pretty I in your it. face yeah. in your face guitar rock i like that kind of stuff every once in a while and uh it's the first time we've actually played anything quite like that yeah we played some heavy stuff but not that heavy cool right yeah that's it. just totally pounding tuned down to d guitars and just hammering yeah what else is going on? What do we got? What do we got? Let's do the top five. You want to do the top five? Well, we haven't done one in a while, so and since we had nothing else, I guess we're going to do a top five. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because, you know, a lot of this stuff is uh, all interrelated, as you'll see. How so? Oh, you'll see. Oh, okay then, mister. Yeah. Like I said, every once in a while, I like to uh, hear some heavy music. And the topic of our top five is... Ding, ding, ding. Top five favorite songs yeah it's, it sounds like a simple thing to do right what are your top five favorite songs it's like saying yeah what's your what are your favorite foods there is so much out there to pick from yeah and i mean this could change from day to day or week to week and these happen to be uh, three of these are typically on my top five all the time and the other two might change from day to day yeah when when rich said let's do a top five favorite songs i said wow that's just so wide open how can i even narrow it down i gave him 10 minutes he gave me 10 minutes (laughs) because i had mine in about five so in three minutes i formed my whole approach to this whole thing said i'm gonna just go off the top of my head and what are the things that my brain tells me are my top five favorite songs and why is that you know and why why am i immediately just regurgitating these things must be because they have some sort of impact on me and they do. Yeah. Well, mine. Do you want to go first? Well. I'll go first. And and again, just like with our last top five list, these are not really a, in in ascending or descending order. These are the five. Yeah. Although mine, I, I do have a top one, and it's always it's always my top favorite song. I keep going back to it. Yeah, I might change mine around, but these are in no particular order for me. But they will be my five favorite, and I will begin with uh, a song called "On Reflection" by uh, one of my favorite 
progressive rock and roll bands from the 70s called Gentle Giant. And On Reflection is a song that is on their freehand record that came out, out around 70, I want to say 74 or 75, so about 30 years ago. Wow. And Not to be confused is, with Slowhand. Right. <laughs> and this song is actually, the main theme of the song is actually a round. And do you know what a round is? You know, like Forever Jaca. I know, you know what a round is. Okay. It's, it's a rep- repetition offset. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And uh, Frere Jaca is a great example of a round, or Row, Row, Row Your Boat. London Bridges. Yeah, those are all very simple rounds. This particular round is probably the most interesting and beautifully complex round I've ever heard. It's It sounds very medieval. Gentle Giant writes a lot of, like, um, uh, madrigal-style music mm-hmm. that reminds me very much of medieval music, which I love, music uh, that predates Bach. I, I love that. And uh, actually, I love Bach, too, and there will be a few mentions of him a little later you mean batch yes j.s batch a very famous german composer so anyway yeah on reflection by gentle giant on the freehand record and uh it's just this shockingly beautiful piece of music and uh it's great your turn cool all right um this one i could probably say is is number five i think it's in the right position little song called higher ground and not the stevie wonder version but the red hot chili peppers version i think they did a great cover it's on uh, Mother's Milk from 1989. It's a great party song, uplifting. Got a, a nice breakdown near the end. Um, great bass line. Flea goes crazy. I met the flea. <sighs> He's about the size of a flea from what I hear. He's a tiny guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I love the Chili Peppers and, and funk. And uh, yeah, that was one of my favorites. Cool. You're up again. Um, okay. Again, in no particular order, this is a song that is called Mountain Waltz. And, uh, this was written by one of my favorite uh, musicians and composers named Steve Morse. And, uh, he... I met him. Did you? <laughs> yes. Well, I was with you. You were with me. Right. Yeah. We both met Steve that That's night right. at that little blues club in Syracuse by the Dome. Yep. Back in 89. That was yeah. a great show. He did not play Mountain Waltz. No, he didn't. And, um... It's it's by Steve Morse. It's on his record called The Introduction, which I had with me that night, and it does have his signature on it, and cool. it's in the car. Very cool. And this song is called Mountain Waltz, right? So it's a waltz, but it never actually occurred to me until after listening to it for years that it really is a song written in 3-4. It's a very fast waltz. And I was yeah. like, duh, it says waltz on it, but it didn't occur to me that it was actually written in 3-4 <laughs> to like two years after I owned the record. And I did first buy this on vinyl when it came out, because <laughs> this particular record came out around 1984. Beautiful song. How many rock and roll? I guess that you know Steve is kind of known. He plays in Deep Purple right now, but he's in the Steve Morse band. He um he ha- he was in a really famous fusion band called the Dixie Dregs, which still tours. And um, actually, the violinist who's playing with the Dixie Dregs right now played on a Namira record. He's very really. Yeah, he also was in the Mahavishnu Orchestra. Everything is connected. Jerry, I told you, Jerry Goodman, the drummer that I was talking about from Numira, um, mm-hmm. used to live in an apartment building across the hall from Jerry Goodman, one of the most famous <laughs> fusion violinists in the world, and um, that's another great story. Wow! But um, yeah, Mountain Waltz by Steve Morse uh, from the introduction record, and how many like guys who are often known for being rock guys. And Steve Morse is more than that. He's a nylon string classical guitarist. He studied uh, classical guitar. He's a wonderful composer. But I mean, how many rock guys write waltzes? It just doesn't happen that I can much. think of one. Who? Steve Morse. There you go. All right. What do you got? <laughs> All right. Here's a song that's been covered, and the cover is known really well. It's called Crazy. Crazy. That's the one. Yeah. yeah Patsy Cline is, is the one who's famous for that. But Willie Nelson is the, the one who penned it. Um, and I've heard Willie Nelson do it, and it's just a haunting song. I think that that one always hits me every time it plays. 
And, you know, people who aren't necessarily country music fans, you could probably sit down and listen to most of what Willie Nelson has done. He's just amazing. I think he's a, he's a great musician and songwriter. Well, actually, um, he's done so much to for fundraising and charity yeah. work. He really is a great guy. And um, again, where I work, where we work in the music industry, and I was on the phone with some people from XM Radio recently, and they had been wiring uh, a remote. Willie Nelson was doing some uh, hurricane relief oh, yeah. work, and XM was doing the remote radio broadcast and stuff. So this particular guy, that my contact at XM, uh, had been dealing with Willie and this whole big spiel to, mm-hmm. to get this thing happening. And uh, yeah, I like Willie. He's pretty cool. He actually yeah. wrote that? He wrote that he, song? He wrote that song. That was one of his uh, big hits as a songwriter. Okay. Um, I think, I can't remember what the story was, but um, I picked up a, a Willie Nelson CD a couple of years ago. And I was listening to NPR. I think it was Fresh Air with uh, I can't remember her name. Yeah, I, she, I know she's, what you mean. she's an interviewer. She's she's known to do interviews, and um, and she was interviewing Willie Nelson. And this was just a couple of years ago, so he's not like a spring chicken. And he was playing live guitar, acoustic guitar, and singing all of these songs. And the guy still has a lot of chops for being that old. He's just really, really, really refined. Terry Gross. Terry Gross. That's yeah, her name. Makes yeah. Sense. But yeah, so I, I picked it up, and, and he told the whole story about how, you know, he had written a song, and he was in these, you know, all-night songwriting sessions. Uh, he got picked up by some label in, in Nashville, um, and someone had shopped his song around, and, and uh, Patsy Cline picked it up and, and made it famous. I don't get the whole bankruptcy thing that Willie went through, but that's another show. <laughs> yeah, I didn't talk to him about that. <laughs> in fact, I didn't uh, talk to him about anything. So well, if you do, let me know. Yeah. My turn. Yep. Um... Prelude one, Johann Sebastian Bach uh, from the Well-Tempered Clavier. And what can you say? This is just one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever written by one of the the world's greatest composers who ever lived. Mm-hmm. And uh, you need to listen to the song if you haven't. This song is kind of cool because, um, what was it, Voyager? Was Voyager the one we sent out with the records? Yep. And, um, you know, they had to choose music to put on there. And I think the first piece of music that made it on there was... Um, Glenn Gould's uh, particular version of of Prelude One, and yeah. uh, he's an interesting character as well. That, that was, speaking of, well, we haven't spoken about films, but there's a really cool film uh, made produced by the CBC or something called Forty One Short Films about Glenn Gould. I have it on something video. like that. I can't remember the exact or it's number. Thirty One yeah. short films about Glenn Gould. But uh, this film was also in the, that book that I saw at the bookstore. A thousand films you need to see before you die. I saw it about yep. ten or twelve years ago. Uh, the CBC was showing it, and then uh, I bought it on on video. It's it's really great. But anyway, yeah, my uh, my third choice is Prelude One by J. S. Bach. Yeah. Do you think that that song had anything to do with the fact that Voyager became V'ger and started attacking the the Enterprise? It might have. That, yeah, that music always do it to you. Yeah, it's rock damn music box. and those kids. Yeah, this is my number three, and, and again, this may float up and down occasionally, but this song again, another one that just it's visceral and it hits me, and it's uh, "Wish" by Nine Inch Nails off of Broken. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I know that some people roll their eyes, thinking, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. I just did. Yeah, Rich rolls his eyes, but this is one of those songs where. If you want to take all the angst of a human being and roll it into a single song, that's it. And I, I think that it uh, is a great tune, and I can dance to it. <laughs> it's got a great beat. And between 90 and 99, what do you give it? I give it an 87 and a half. Okay, cool. Hey, you know, I, I don't want to uh, steer this conversation in another direction, but I do have but to you say will. So, I'm going to say something really briefly. Um, 
One of my friends is a gigantic Nine Inch Nails fan, and her name is Farron, and she's been wanting to hear. She lives in Long Beach, California, and she's been wanting to hear our show. So I burned her a CD of all of the MP3s of all of our shows up until last week's show or two weeks ago or something like that. And I had done it also six weeks ago. I mailed her a first CD. She never got it. So I mailed her a second CD, and uh, she never got that one either. And then finally she said to me on the phone last week, well, why don't you tell me what address you're sending it to? And mind you, I cleared this address with her before I sent the first one. <laughs> and I don't remember what the number it was. It was like 179 whatever street. And she goes, please tell me you didn't say 179. And I said, well, that's the address you gave me. And she goes, no, it's, it's 178. So if we have some fans out there in Long Beach, California <laughs> that are listening to these CDs, actually they belong to the woman across the street. Her name is Farron. So please, when you're done with them, deliver deliver them to Farron so she can actually hear our shows because she's been wanting to hear it. Yes, that's what this show is all about, bringing people together. That's right. We have a, a new fan who's been stealing her mail or not actually stealing her mail since it was put in her mailbox with the wrong name. Yeah. Actually, and you know, you'd think the mailman would know his neighborhood a little bit and he'd go, well, Farron doesn't live at 179. She lives at 178 across the street and deliver it where it belongs. Yeah, mailmen, sometimes they have some sort of psychic powers because you can barely put an address on it. It'll make it to the right place. But to quote Steve Martin, but no. But no. <laughs> There's a dog barking, John. <laughs> Whose turn is it? Oh, you just did Nine Inch Nails. So now it's my number four, right? Yeah. Okay. My number four is Every Two- and Three-Part Piano Invention by J.S. Bach. <laughs> every single one. That's well, not I, fair. You can't. I can't pick you know, one in particular. You know, We all have our favorites, number eight and F major, whatever. But I mean, um, you know, they're just, there's a lot of movement in those pieces. They're complex, and they, they really appeal to uh, the kind of, uh, they be, appeal to my ear, the kind of music that I like. So once again, Mr. Batch, Mr. Bach, yeah. has made it onto the uh, onto the chart, and only because I can't pick one, I'm picking them all. Damn it! Cool. Well, for similar reasons, my uh, number two or number four, depending on how you're uh, counting these, uh, would be "Supper's Ready" by Genesis, because <laughs> for the same reason, lots of movement, um, lots of interesting structures, apocalypse in nine eight, you know. I like odd time signatures. It's got everything. Um, and it's one of those songs that you just can't play on the radio because it's not two and a half minutes long. Yeah, it's incredibly long and complex. And uh, most people's attention spans and interest in complex music are non-existent. <laughs> yeah. Especially right. today, in yeah. today's today's world. In structure, it's very classical. But It's very classically uh, Western in its compositional style, as is actually the whole progressive rock scene from the 70s yep. in general. General Giant, uh, maybe not King Crimson so much, but... Um, you know Genesis and, and bands mm -hmm. like that um, were, were very Western in their in their compositional styles. Uh, Crimson got a little avant garde. Yeah, of course, stealing my thunder. But anyways, <laughs> my number five in no particular order, or my number one, or whatever you want to do it. It's one of my five. My last one is um, I actually couldn't decide on a number five, a last one, and uh, I picked something that I've been listening to a lot lately. Why not, right? I've, I've been wanting to hear it several sure. times a day, so I just figured I'd, I'd pick that one. And it's um, Wake Me Up Before... No, wait a minute. <laughs> That's wham. That's <laughs> completely different. No, actually, this is a song, a piece called Allegro Molto by a wonderful classical guitarist named Dusan Bogdanovich. He has a really great record called Mysterious Habitats, and I first heard this on NPR probably eight, nine, ten years ago. Yeah. And... Um, 
they have little um, moments where they go between segments and they play 15 seconds or whatever snippets yeah. of a song. Yep, they and, do that. and they got so many requests for knowing what those were that they dedicated a, a section of their website to it, you know, what those musical snippets were. All songs considered, I think they call it. All, it's exactly what it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, on all things considered. And um, so I went there and discovered it was a, a, a record by Dusan Bogdanovich, a wonderful guitar player and composer. And uh, this song, Allegro Molto, is very great. It's very complex. It would never be found on the radio outside of the context of national public radio. Yeah. And you're certainly not going to find it on any popular radio. But um, if you're interested in interesting, complex music, uh, in particular for the guitar, then you may like this record. It's it's wonderful. Cool. Well, my number one, and this is a song that I keep going back to all the time. And like I said, Rich stole my thunder a little bit. It's called Fracture by King Crimson. It's off of Starless and Bible Black from 1974. And while, yeah, they did get a little avant-garde on, on a lot of their albums, um, especially their earlier ones and then their later incarnations. Um, this one does have that classical kind of composition, or at least more classical composition, um, Western composition, as you say, uh, that a lot of progressive rock had. Great song. Again, not being played on the radio because it's like 11 minutes long. Well, I love Crimson, and uh, yeah. I love it when they don't do, when they do more out there, outside the box kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole deal. I mean, I guess that's really what progressive rock and roll is all about. That a lot of the bands happened to compose in a style that was very friendly to people who were used to Western style composition is great. But mm-hmm. I mean, when people go outside the box, I love it. I love uh, complex music. Yeah, and as Rich knows, my favorite band probably of all time is is Crimson because they just do something different every time they come out of the box. You know, not to well, use that phrase again. You keep talking about Wham a lot lately, though, too, which makes <laughs> me think about that. You know. Well, you know, they had their moments with the shirts with, you know, John is actually life or something on it. He's actually wearing a Go-Go's shirt right now, <laughs> which is the, the kicker. I mean, I don't really know what that's about. And but. on occasion, I've been known to walk like an Egyptian. Speaking of like girl bands. <laughs> Who's speaking of girl bands? Well, we were since we got, since I mentioned the Go-Go's. You mean Wham? The fictitious story about your shirt. Um, I was doing some research and I, I discovered, you know, and it's a pity because all of the bands that have been all girls have been presented as novelties to us, right? We haven't had a band of like great players yet of all the women, because there are obviously great women musicians in the world, right? Sure. I mean, but yeah, you know, anytime we're presented with a girl band, it's a novelty band like the Go-Go's or, or what was the band? The Walk Like an Egyptian band, um. Well, them, whatever they're yeah. called. But I was doing some research, and I discovered the first like all-girl rock band. And this is going back to the 70s. And uh, do you know what they were called? I have no idea. <laughs> they were called, and could it be more sexist? They were called Fanny. <laughs> Fanny. Yeah, they were on Sinatra's label. Oh, the, the name of that label is escaping me at the moment. But um, Reprise. They were on Reprise. Uh. And they were called Fanny. And I've never heard any of their music, but, I mean, boy, Fanny. <laughs> What's the name of your band? We're an all-girl band. We're called Ass. <laughs> well, there is a band called The Cramps. Yes, there is. Yeah. Speaking of music, we've got another song. Oh, yeah, we do. So yeah, this, is, this, uh, this is my friend Hans Storsberg. This is a recording I actually made. But, yeah. And I had to remaster it because the original mastering was a little questionable. But um, anyway, this is Hans Storsberg, and this is a really short ditty he did called uh, Busy Intersection. Busy Intersection 
Yeah, very appropriately named, don't you think? It had like the yeah. tension that a busy, you know, intersection would actually have. You know, lots of movement and traffic and stop, lights stopping and starting and cars starting and stopping. Yeah, I, I think visually, and I could, I could definitely see that being played like in a in a film sequence where someone is just having an epiphany and they're getting all nervous and they they need to change their life or something. Great, exactly, that's and great. that's that's so appropriately titled. Yeah, and uh, I'm gonna have to do some work on Rich over here. You know get a chiropractor or something because he's been spending so much time patting himself on the back for that recording. <laughs> you know, I'll pat myself some more on the back about that recording if you want me to. No, because, you know, your medical bills are going to be way too high. Oh, okay. All right, I won't do it then. But he actually, he had some very kind words about me because there were three engineers involved on this album and he said something very kind about the recording process and something that I had I had done to, uh, to help him in the recording process. And uh, he's great and we're probably going to work together again really soon, actually. No, I, I kid Rich and I, I respect his talents. But if, if I didn't respect his talents, I wouldn't say a word. <laughs> I kid the people that I love. So you've seen another film. I mean, this is... Yes, just, this is a banner year for me. This is shocking. Yeah, I, I've got a couple of film reviews. And this is going to be my 13 second film review segment. 13. It's a prime. I like it. Yeah. First film, Wallace and Gromit and the Curse of the Were-Rabbit. <laughs> it was funny. It was great. Take your kids. Take yourself. Okay, the next film, Sin City. Okay, it's a comic book. It's on film. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> wow. I'm done. <laughs> that was a lot like my March of the Penguins, but shorter. Yeah, but I think that was exactly 13 seconds. We'll have to check the tape. <laughs> yes we will check the tape we're using quantity gp9 and we're recording at uh 275 nano cool you can check the flux capacitor while you're down there <laughs> would you okay all right i think that's a show i got nothing and klaxons tell us it's a show yeah they always sort of chime in there at the the most appropriate moment Yet again, we have nothing to talk about, yet we somehow managed to fill a half an hour or two. <laughs> or two. <laughs> yeah. Check out the blog, www.bloodyveg.com. Send some feedback. Feedback at bloodyveg.com. And Liz, do some more stuff on the blog. Yeah. We, we missed need... you. We missed you last week. We need contributions. Absolutely. And everyone else out there, we're still looking for audio feedback and video feedback and anything you got. Food. Banana, banana bread. Money. Throw money. Yeah, that's fine. Contribute on our webpage even. Yeah, we take all sorts of credit cards. And anyway, we're out of here. Don't forget, you're listening to VIB. V-I-B.